As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Never tire of doing what is right. Obviously, the problem that Paul is addressing here is this issue of idleness. And, thank you. And in this issue of idols, this Greek word for idol has two connotations. <clears throat> it really comes from the word disorganized and unruly. There's, there's this, this sense of rebelliousness. This is the way I want to do it, like it or not. This is, okay? So don't tell me otherwise. And Paul was trying to tell them otherwise. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he was trying to tell them otherwise. You can go back and read that chapter. We're not going to do it tonight. And you can see he addresses this, uh, one time he addresses this idleness that now, just a few months later, it seems 2 Thessalonians follows about six months later on the heels of 1 Thessalonians. He sends it through Timothy and they, he has to tell them, you know what, this issue of idleness hasn't gone away. And so he feels like instead of me just mentioning it, it rather casually, I'm going to hit it head on. And this idleness has this sense of not being busy, but being disorganized, unruly, meandering, wandering, not having purpose, doing my own thing rather than his thing, God's thing. And so this is the, the attitude that Paul is needing to address. So how does he do this? Number one, he does say, come on. You need to get up and you need to go out there. You need to get a job. Many of them were very possibly hearing about the return of the Lord. Well, let's just sell our possessions and we're just going to have this like second coming uh, waiting party here. Anytime, Jesus. Um, and they just kind of kicked back and played it cool and, and they weren't working. And if you don't work, you shall not eat. So he commands them. But what he really wants to focus on here is while he was with them, he didn't just tell them what to do. Paul and company were men that lived it out. And what they chose, now they did have the right as an apostle, as, or, as, or as apostles, they did have the right to be able to receive offerings, and even as the Levites and the priests in the Old Testament had this right that the labor is worthy of his wages, so they had the right as well. But he declined that right because, and the scripture tells us here, he tells the Thessalonians, because they didn't want to be a burden to you. Here they were, new converts, trying to understand this God thing and this relationship with Jesus and God's grace as opposed to works and the law, and, and as it's coming together and they're redeemed, actually in 1 Thessalonians 1, we find out that their testimony of their awesome, total abandonment in faith in Jesus Christ becomes rings throughout Asia, and everybody hears about it, and, and it get back, gets back to Paul, and he's like totally stoked on this, and you guys are awesome, you're doing great, you're on fire, you're pursuing Jesus. And in order to, while he was there evangelizing and teaching them the whole counsel of God, he is living this thing out of hard work. And he didn't have to do this, but he didn't want it to be a stumbling block. You know, people giving to these others who are laboring, they, they, for fear that they may not understand it, and it could be a stumbling block for many of them coming to Christ. So he said, no, I'm going to decline on that. So it says that he worked day and night. 
Now I want you to imagine yourself having the full right, Paul, full right to labor in the kingdom and receive payment and not have to work two jobs. Paul was a tent maker, literally a tent maker. He made tents, he repaired tents, but every time he moved to a city, he had to start his business all over again. So, you know, I don't know what kind of business cards he used. I'm sure they didn't have TV and radio back then to get the message out. The newspaper was a little on the slow side. And so, consequently, it was difficult to get this business up and going. So, it had, for the most part, it was by word of mouth. Now, as Paul rolls into town, and it takes a while for this business to get up and going, he is working the business hard. His men with him are working the business hard. And at the same time, they're reaching out, proclaiming the gospel, and they are seeing many people, Jews and Gentiles, coming to Christ. The, the, the Jews realize Jesus is this promised Messiah, foretold in the Old Testament, revealed now in our day, cr- died on the cross, crucified, raised to life. Paul's a testament. Paul even says he saw him. And he was opposed to Jesus. And this visitation radically changed his life forever and ever. So that he's willing to risk his life. And there was much persecution in Thessalonica as he preached. And his men preached. Much persecution. As a matter of fact, he ended up having to flee to Berea. And while he was at Berea, the Thessalonians that rejected him and his message pursued him there. All right, this is what the devil had done in stirring the opposition up. So they pursued him to the next town. We don't, read, we don't read anything of that nature in any of his other visits. So let me say this again. There was tremendous persecution. So f- first of all, for Paul, there was a lot of outside persecution. And he was laboring in the kingdom for free. Say that with me. For free. Just like you. For me, a long time, many years in power lane, laboring for free. Praise God by His grace, He's allowed me to work the business far less now. But laboring the kingdom for free. Where's the reward? Perfect setup for burnout. Perfect setup. What kept him going? Why would he wake up in the morning passionate in the purposes of God? I believe it was because of focus. Many times our focus, it can be money. It could be um, retirement benefits. For the Thessalonians, maybe it was the health care benefits. Oh, that's right, they didn't have Obamacare back then. Um, Lack of persecution? They were forced out of town. Paul worked for none of these. Paul worked for none of them. Their focus being an example, a model of how to live. Others focused. Totally. Totally others focused. Now I'm not saying that you know, as you're working your job you should reject your paycheck. Don't, don't do that. But what is it that's motivating you? Do you realize, now listen to this, that in the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas in Luke 19, the, these two parables talk about servants serving their master and 
when he comes back and he has them give an account for what they have done, each of them had a minor or a certain number of talents, and they said, how much have you made? What have you produced? And so here's my question to you. Many times it's posed in sermons, what have you done for the kingdom? And it's certainly not devoid of that. Of course that's there. But what about your job? God has you laboring in your job for a reason. And and yes, it's supporting your family. But you are there for many a reason, not the least of which is to be a star witness for Jesus Christ. When you go to work, you're praying for the people in your work before Jesus, asking him, would you come and would you be with me today so that I'll have opportunities to share you with some of the people here. And God may bring people with needs to you. Maybe you're sitting down eating lunch and maybe even reading your Bible a little bit, whatever, during lunchtime, and someone comes up, sits down with you and says, man, you're reading the Bible, huh? I just don't think that works too well. And, well, why would you think that? Man, I tried God. Really? Like how long ago? Uh, five years ago. Tried God. He didn't work. Well, help me understand what you mean by that. How didn't he work? And this person begins to unfold a series of tragedies in his life. And God starts you on an adventure of ministering the love and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you about my friend Frank years and years ago when I worked at Ray Lumber in Phoenix, Arizona. Messed up guy. He was in the pastorate, left the pastorate full, filled with bitterness, would sit in his, his, uh, his, his house watching TV with a gun next to him, hoping that the man that betrayed him would knock on the door and he would pull out his gun and shoot him. That bitter. He turned back to alcohol. He had just, the year that I met him, he had stopped, he had not drunk alcohol for one year. But boy, was he bitter. God rescued him. God set him free from all of that bitterness. He was burned out. I want you to turn to 2 Thess- Corinthians. Stay there in 2 Thessalonians, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4. share with you just a little bit of the opposition and a little bit later of Paul's focus because it certainly wasn't what I'm right now going to read to you. But he's being honest with them and in chapter 4 verse 8 he says we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So physical death, the potential for physical death and weariness and such, 
but life in them. Because if they've shared the gospel, Jesus has rescued them from their lifestyles. The Gentiles worshiping idols, 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about. And the gospel literally exploded in Thessalonica. Lives transformed totally to follow after Jesus Christ. Death in our bodies, but life for you. Well, he goes on. He's not singing some sad song here and seeking self-pity or or people's sympathies. He says, therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Why? Why would Paul be renewed day by day. Why would Paul be able to, in the face of persecution and lack of reward, not lose heart, not be burned out, not give up? This is what he says. For our light and momentary trials. Whoa, put the brakes on here. What? Light and momentary... I hope I don't need to read verses 8 through 12 to you again. Light and momentary? Really, Paul? How many of you can sympathize with Paul that when you go to work, that's how you feel? Have you ever been pressed on every side? Perplexed? Have you ever been persecuted? Struck down? This is Paul's day-to-day living. Light and momentary troubles. That's how he characterizes them. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, that means therefore, consequently, as a result, so, we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen here around us, what's going on in the natural, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If we are that match, what is it that is burning you out? External negativity, persecutions, not enough reward? Are you wanting to give up on your marriage because it's just not benefiting you enough? You feel like your needs aren't being met. Why is following Jesus so hard right now? It it all has to do with what we're going to focus on. What are you choosing to focus on? Paul, again, perspective. He saw all of these serious trials in his life, in his company's life. He got kicked out of town. He run out of town. Church, light and momentary. Light and momentary. Is that how you view your trials? Maybe that's where we should start. I think that the reason why it can be so hard to follow Jesus right now as we may be facing burnout. Number one, I think we can expect more or immediate blessings. Our society has, has conditioned us When we do something, we want immediate payment. We want immediate reward. And in God's kingdom, many times you have to plant the seed and it takes quite a while 
for that seed to, to germinate, sprout. And as it grows to eventually produce its foliage and then later the fruit. But we want it right now. We want to plant the seed and tomorrow eat its fruit. And that's just not how God's kingdom works, church, is it? And I'm sure that if you were to give testimony, you would, many of you would testify to how you planted a seed. And it took such a long time. But in God's timing, it did produce something. But, you know, we're, we're in a culture, I'm still on number one, we're in a culture which we've been conditioned just because of, you know, I, I'll blame it all on Sesame Street. When you were a kid, Sesame Street, that's right, it's all Sesame Street's fault. Sesame Street, and this is, I mean, this, this is one reason why we didn't have our kids watch Sesame Street or didn't have them watch it much. Because it taught your child to have a short attention span. And, and it played into that. We are a people, have you ever watched trailers Trailers for movies. I mean, trailers for movies. This is our society. How, how long does each scene last? A second, maybe a few seconds at the most, and then it goes on to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and this is what you've got to realize. They're all mixed up. They're out of order. When you finally see the movie, you think, that's not what I thought it was going to be about. Ever done that before? Yeah, and, and, but it's one after the other. After the, This is what we've been conditioned for. Or the media conditions us for this. It's, it's now. It is, I, I want my dessert, and I want it yesterday. And, and this is just our mentality. And in the kingdom of God, it is not like that. Or maybe number two, we expect fewer or no trials. I'm following Jesus now. You know, I heard the guy on the, on the television tell me that if I followed Jesus, my life would be better. Guess what? It's actually even worse. I don't get this Christian stuff. And so we say, I've tried God and he didn't work. And, and, and honestly, that has come into the church, and, and it's affected us. It's, maybe it's infected us. Maybe that's a better word. And we have to be so careful, church, because we can, we can be adopted. We can adopt that very same mentality. You know, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I expect like immediate reward here. I, I expect no trials. I expect you to take care of all of these things. And that's what the televangelist told me on TV. Sorry, if I, I'm not mentioning any names right now because I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes. That's my favorite evangelist. Yeah, I've got some of mine out there too. But the truth is, some of them preach a very man-centered gospel. You know what? It's not about me. I'm not going to follow Jesus because of all the benefits that come with Christianity. You will only set yourself up for discouragement. Now, don't get me wrong. Following Jesus was the best decision I ever made. My life is ten times happier. I could, trump, I, I could throw out all of the, these reasons why I follow Jesus that would be perks and blessings. But guess what? That is not why I chose to follow Jesus. Because in following Jesus, I have also found a lot of trials. Because Jesus wants to use those trials to refine me. Ouch. We don't like that stuff. It's hard. It hurts. But guess what? Jesus is far more concerned about our character than our comfort. That, that's, that's just an honest truth. 
If you're here tonight and you, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I am not trying to discourage you from following Jesus. If you follow him, he will forever change your life. He will rescue you from your darkness and bring you into the light. And he will allow you to experience this awesome love of God. But guess what? He will not remove all of your trials. He's not going to do it because he needs to use them to carve you and shape you and mold you. The third thing. Reason why we can get burned out in, as we're facing this. And, and by the way, can I ask you, as I just said that, why are you serving God anyway? Why, why do we do that? Just a, just a thought, a question. Number three, we find that there's no recognition or praise. Just pause and let that sink in for a moment. Number four, stop doing the right thing. We... we, we Let me read my own chicken scratching here. We are stopping doing the right thing and instead doing the wrong thing, pleasing our sinful desires, because when we do those wrong things, it doesn't seem like God is punishing me. Just think about that for a moment. We're following Jesus and we realize that as we're dabbling into sin, we're waiting for the hammer to fall. We are that bold and the hammer's not falling. And we're, wow, I'm getting away with that. Maybe this isn't so bad. And we want to go back to the Bible and rewrite it. You know, sinning is not all that bad. God is not visiting me with this awesome judgment of God. At least not right now, okay? Dot, dot, dot. At least not right now. Because I'm going to tell you what, God will pursue you. If you're a child of God, and you've gone back into sin, He will pursue you. That is the heart of your Savior. He will not let you go. He will pursue you. So don't be fooled. Because the hammer hasn't fallen now. Don't think that God will not pursue you and use discipline of any kind to win your heart back. Number five, persecution for simply doing the right thing. We, we take a stand against abortion. Persecution. Take a stand against homosexuality. Not the homosexual, the homosexuality. Persecution. Against state-sponsored welfare. We believe the Bible teaches something different. Persecution. What? You mean you don't love your neighbor? That is not at all. I was... Uh, yeah, I better not get into that one. You know, sometimes you just watch things on YouTube and somebody is expressing, I'm an evangelical and I'm just so tired of the right wing and, and how they just don't love the poor. And I just pause and I say, okay, I'm, I'm sure that there are people both on the left and right that don't love the poor, but guess what? Because I choose not to... Ask my government to take care of the poor does not mean that I don't love the poor. It's just not the state's responsibility. Biblically. Okay, I'm not going to go there. All right, moving on. We can be against evolution. You know, Diego was just telling me he's in a biology class. Pastor Mike, how, how do I respond to this? And I said, you know what? Here's what you do. You give the teacher what he wants to hear. And then if at the end of the test you have some time on the side, you just put, but I don't believe this. Okay. 
Because this professor was, was trying to say, you know what, science is the acquisition of knowledge apart from anything having to do with ethics or religion or one other thing. And I said, really? So it's okay for a scientist to be unethical. Mm, plenty of those, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose not to read them. You cannot separate your Christian worldview or morality from something like science. You can't. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to... Okay, anyway, we can be against these things, and society wants to persecute us, and you can, be, you can step back and you can say, God, why am I even doing this? Why am I taking a stand for you? I thought this was going to be so much better following you, Jesus. We can make a stand instead of against things. We can make a stand for Jesus being the only way. We can make a stand for the fact that Jesus taught eternal rewards and yet also eternal punishment. We can take a stand for Christian rights and the freedom of religion and speech. Right now... Christians are in the crosshairs of the federal government and they're trying to quiet them and not let them speak. And you can see that everywhere, including the military, by the way. And it is hard to take a stand. If you're a Muslim, oh, that's different. We welcome your Sharia law into our schools. As a matter of fact, class, guess where we're going today on a field trip? We're going to go to the mosque. Let's go. You got all your papers signed. You didn't? That's okay. We're going to go anyway. And off they go on this bus. And there's no problem except one parent speaks up and gets persecuted for it. Oh, don't you love Muslims? Wow. Or we can be absolutely for commitment to Jesus Christ. And many times that persecution can tend to come from within the church. You know what? You're just a little bit too radical for me. Well, as I read my Bible, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny self, be willing to die for me, and follow me daily. I'm just trying to live that out. Follow Jesus with all of your heart. You know, these things are just not popular in our day. Maybe leading us to stop wanting to do the right thing or stand for the right thing. And my question is, why did Paul and company sacrifice so much and never tire of doing what is right? They had the right focus. It wasn't about the rewards, the perks. It wasn't about trying to avoid trials and difficulties and struggles. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9. You know what? Let me just read the few verses before. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature or his flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. 
Church, listen, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Now, the, the trials may be here. The difficulties surrounding you. The rewards, if any, in the distant future. Paul understands that. And he says, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap harvest. See, the harvest is not about us. It's not about me. It is all about my Savior Jesus. This is His harvest, not mine. At the proper time, it is not my time that God is so concerned about, but His time. His time. If you are single tonight, I want to ask you this. Are you feeling like throwing in the towel? You're wondering, God, when are you ever going to send my mate my way? Where are you? This is hard. Can I repeat that? Yes, it is hard. Absolutely. It can be. But when our focus is right, and we allow ourselves, as we focus on the right thing, to rejoice in this season and say, God, in your sovereign timing, you have not brought this man or this woman into my life. And so in this season right now, I'm not going to keep focusing on that and and wondering, God, where are you? I just don't understand it. And you see another couple hooking up and you're just wondering, God, have you just forgotten about me? That can hurt so deeply. It truly can. I'm going to ask you, rejoice in this season. Don't stop doing good and waiting on God in His timing and in His way. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. And I'm going to believe with you that God will bless you with an awesome, godly man or an awesome, godly woman that you can spend the rest of your life with, co-laboring in His kingdom and all the awesome things that God has awaiting you. My God can do that in his timing and in his way. I can remember, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Several years ago, I was doing the paint touch-up business much more. And I realized that the devil again had kind of brought me down this road in which I was looking to that one day in which I don't have to do paint touch-up anymore and I, I just get to minister. I mean, I love ministering. I love all the different aspects of pastoring. That's, that's my passion ever since I was a teenager. That's what I'd always wanted to do. I just love all the different aspects of it. And I, can rem- I remembered just the heat, the just thinking, wow, God, 10 20 years ago, I would never imagine myself doing this. And yet, this is what you have for me. And I remember getting down to to work on the bumper, and I just stopped, and I I dropped my hands, and tears came to my eyes. And I, I just, I said, God, 
my heart is wrong. And I know it. You have me in this season. And, and I, God had even begun showing me various reasons why he had me there doing what I need, what he was wanting me to do. Not what I wanted to do, but what he wanted me to do. And just challenging me again, Mike, learn to delight in what I have given you. Because your focus is wrong right now. Your, your heart, you're longing for, for more and you're longing for your heart's desires. And, and can, can you just be patient? And can you again wait for me in my perfect timing? And I'll have to admit that was, that was so hard as I just broke down and, and, and just sat there. I plopped myself down on the ground. And I started moving into this pity party. And God had been really nailing me on that for a number of years. Avoid those pity. When you start seeing them coming, you run. Get out of that pity party. So as I sat there... God just began to minister to me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, church. And God needed to redirect my focus. I, at that moment, was enjoying so much that God had done in my life. God has blessed me with the most incredible woman in the world and called her, because he had to call her <laughs> to, to, to endure me. But God called her to be my wife. Interesting, she walks right in at that time. I planned that, by the way. And, or, and, and my children, God, you have blessed me with five amazing children. I am so blessed. I look around and so many are, are trying and doing what they can to raise children and, and they just walk away and choose not to serve the Lord. And God, you have placed that burden to serve Jesus, passionately serve Jesus in each of their hearts. God, thank you for this amazing church that you have privileged me to pastor. Financially, I can't do pastoring full-time. But you know what, God? I'm going to be okay with that. Because you have me in this season. Whatever your season is, God has you in that season. And he has you there for a reason. Don't allow the devil to distract you. Don't allow the devil to cause your eyes to be looking and grasping for what's ahead. Be content with what you have. Because God has this awesome harvest awaiting for you. Can you be patient? Can you wait? Some of you right now, you're discouraged. I just, this was not in my plans. So I'm, I'm going to conclude with this. We, as a family, we watched a movie called Faith Like Potatoes. Don't get, I, yeah, I'm not going to explain the title. But the idea is a missionary. He's in, not a missionary, but he's a man. He's got a family. He moves to South Africa filled with anger. Life is, he's working day and night, 18 to 20 hours a day, trying to start this farm. And he just comes to the end of his rope, goes to an evangelistic meeting, and he gets saved. I mean radically saved. He gets called into ministry. 
and he is a fledgling guy. He's still working his farm. They got it. They started an orphanage, and he is trying to walk by faith. And God has done some miracles and and such. And then the stormy night, he hears a bang on the door, and there's numerous townspeople knocking on his door. And these are the Zulus knocking at his door. You know, we've come to you because because you believe in your God, and your God does amazing things. And this woman. These several women have been struck by lightning and there's one in her hut and she is dead. We need you to pray for her. Imagine yourself in that man's shoes and being challenged with this. What are you going to say? I'm not sure my God can do that. And so he follows them and he's, he's like, God, what do I do? How do I pray? And he goes in there and the smoke is still rising from this woman and there's a stench in the air. And he does it. He just falls down. And he says, Jesus, no, no dramatic prayer. He's just honest to God. And he says, Jesus, please, I don't know what to do. You alone can heal. Be healed in Jesus' name. And there's this faith that rises up within her. And you, you realize, what is he doing? And he grabs her by the shoulders and he stands her up and he says, Be healed and come back to life in Jesus' name. And this is based on a true story, church. And suddenly her eyes open and, and she's, she's, Jesus has raised her from the dead. And the people are gasping in amazement at what this man, white man's God has done in bringing this black woman to life again. Who was dead. She died right before their eyes. And she was dead. She was laid out. She was crispy. She was gone. And God raised her back to life. I'm sorry. Raised her back to life. Now here's why I'm sharing this. Because I believe that tonight, for some of you, God needs to take you by the shoulders and he needs to breathe life back into you. You are feeling dead in your hearts. You are discouraged. You are ready to just blow the, 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 the match out or someone's already blown it out and you just say, I want to give up. My God is more than gracious enough. He is more than...